2: Good morning. It's eight thirty on Monday, January thirteenth. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Lieutenant Governor Hoseman makes committee assignments, plus a ballot initiative on medical marijuana. Then, after bite-sized tech,
3: people know they remember. They'll come up, shake your hand. They won't even have to say anything, you know. But they, you, you know, that they they thought you fought for them.
2: a conversation with Jim Hood. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's new Republican Lieutenant Governor is putting together a bipartisan leadership team in the state Senate. Delbert Hoseman announced Senate committees Friday, naming Republicans as chairman of the two committees most directly responsible for taxpayer dollars. W. Briggs Hobson of Vicksburg will chair Appropriations, and Josh Harkins of Flowood will chair Finance. Hoseman also named Republicans to lead the Education Committees and the two Judiciary Committees. Democrat Barnett of Heidelberg was selected to lead the Corrections Committee. Barnett tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's excited about the opportunity.
4: I'm excited to have um, the position as chair. Uh, of course, all of y'all know that I've worked hard uh, my first four years here and uh, trying to get some type of criminal justice reform, you know, passed that will benefit an individual who have found themselves, you know, inside of our prison system. So, Going forward, not only are we going to continue to work on criminal justice reform, but we're going to make sure going forward that our prisons, are, you know, are up to speed and, and, and that, you know, they're where they need to be.
5: How do you feel about what has been happening over the past couple of weeks and how things have um, transpired?
4: Well, like all of us, you know, there's a concern. We're not happy to have that spotlight, you know, on us, uh, on the state, as far as, you know, how, how everything has been you know handling and what 's been done, but you know just going forward we just look for we're just looking for better days ahead going forward and that's you know that's a commitment that uh that I've gave to a lot of my constituents you know that going forward we will work on 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 other legislative uh things to you know help our prison system and our criminal justice uh, system so
5: when are you going to visit Parchman?
4: um not sure right now when it 's going to happen, but it is going to happen and parchment will not only will, will not be the only one that we visit um, it 's my intention um, to make sure that that we visit all of them um, and to make sure you know that everything uh, they 're just running like it 's supposed to be.
5: There are so many issues, so many moving parts it 's going to take a lot of research, a lot of investigation. How are you going to begin to even decide where you want to go, what's first, what's second?
4: The number one thing that it's going to take a whole lot of, and that's dedication. And I think the people that serves on that committee with me are all dedicated to making sure um, that, that we correct the problems that we have. I think our lieutenant governor is uh, committed and dedicated to that. So with, with everyone having that dedication, I don't think it's going to be as hard as we think it's going to be because when you're dedicated about doing something, um, it's it's easy to get those things done, and, and I think right now we have a dedicated team um, to make sure that we can um, correct the problems that we have in corrections. It's personal to me because I just I just realize that everyone makes a mistake, and and no one needs to be punished forever for the mistake that they make. You know, and and I look at myself and others too, whether we admit it or not. But you know, we're either one mistake away or one mistake past from doing something else. So I just I just keep myself reminded of that, you know. And I just like to stay humble and just look at, you know, just look at the big picture and know that everybody deserves a second chance, sometimes a third chance.
2: Juan Barnett represents Senate District 34. After serving on the Education Committee for 12 years, Democrat David Blunt assumes a leadership role as vice chair of the committee. He tells our Desiree Fraser, teacher pay is his top priority.
6: Very excited. I feel like I've been treated fairly by the uh, lieutenant governor. I've served in that committee for 12 years, uh, so it'll be a new role for me in a leadership position, but we have an excellent chairman and Chairman DeBar, and I'm excited to get to
5: work. You've been outspoken about your concern about education funding. What will you be focusing on?
6: Well, our first priority and the priority of the lieutenant governor is teacher pay, and we need to raise teacher pay in Mississippi. I think we can do that in a bipartisan way, uh, and after that, there's a lot, to, lot more improvements we need to make, but our, our First, focus is going to be raising teacher pay in Mississippi.
5: Anything um, that has been going on in education that really concerns you in terms of fully funding, um, changing the formula?
0: Well,
6: we have a good formula. Uh, and we ought to fund it. And we had an important vote in the Senate a couple of years ago on that issue. Uh, And in a bipartisan way, we voted to keep the formula that we have. Uh, And so we need to raise teacher pay. We need to uh, increase achievement. And we're doing well. If you look at the national standards, uh, we're doing better and we just need to continue progress. I think we have a good team in place and I'm ready to get to work.
5: Are you introducing any bills?
6: Uh, I will be, but that will be coming up over the course of the month. Been holding off on that until we knew what committees we were going to be serving on.
5: Thank you so much, Senator Blunt.
6: Sure, you're welcome. Thank you.
2: David Blunt represents Senate District 29. Coming up, a ballot initiative on medical marijuana. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: What are the top 10 ways to listen to MPB Think Radio? Number 10, the iHeartRadio app. Number 9, TuneIn Radio. Number 8, Amazon Alexa. Number 7, Google Home. Number 6, Deezer. What's a Deezer? Number 5, Spotify. Number 4, Stitcher. Number 3, YouTube. To listen to a radio station? Yeah, all the kids do that now. Number 2, Apple. And the number 1 way to listen to MPB Think Radio? The MPB Public Media app. Free in the iTunes and Google Play Store. What about just over the radio in the car? Yeah, you can do that too.
2: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Medical marijuana will be on the ballot when Mississippi voters head to the polls this November. The proposed amendment would allow licensed physicians to prescribe marijuana to patients with debilitating medical conditions. Advocates for medical marijuana, like Jamie Grantham of Mississippians for Compassionate Care, say it can help thousands of people with chronic pain. She explains the medical marijuana 2020 campaign with MPB's Michael Guidry.
0: Medical Marijuana 2020 is a campaign for patients here in Mississippi who suffer from debilitating medical conditions such as cancer, epilepsy, ALS, Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, and things of that nature. We want them to have safe and legal access to medical marijuana as an alternative treatment option for them. Our initiative has patients in mind. They are the heartbeat of this initiative. Mississippians who are suffering are the whole reason that we are doing this. We spent 12 months gathering signatures from Mississippi registered voters all over the state of Mississippi. Seventy seven percent of Mississippians are in favor of a medical marijuana program for patients who are suffering. And we uh, we want Mississippians to have that same access that patients in 34 other states have.
7: What does this initiative look like? It's going to be on the 2020 ballot. So what do people need to know specifically about this amendment and this initiative?
0: Well, specifically about this initiative, Ballot Initiative 65, uh, the initiative has checks and balances all throughout, would require that a patient would have an in-person examination with their doctor. And then if the physician issues a certification to the patient, which by the way, physicians are not required to certify. The patient would then take that certification and be able to obtain a medical marijuana ID card. And at that point in time, they would also be registered into a statewide real-time database that has all of the information of the patients, the medication they purchase, the medical marijuana treatment centers, where the medication is purchased. Um, And those medical marijuana treatment centers would be regulated by the Department of Health, and those would be the only places where medical marijuana would be available through
7: Over the last 20 years or so, we have seen the nation as a whole move towards both medical marijuana use and some places recreational marijuana use. What would you like to tell Mississippians uh, about the benefits of marijuana as both a medical and therapeutic treatment?
0: The benefits of medicinal marijuana, which I will define as regulated marijuana used for medical purposes, uh, the benefits are tremendous. It is undeniable that millions of people across America are receiving relief from symptoms of debilitating medical conditions for which oftentimes pharmaceutical medications are not providing that relief to them. It needs to be an option for people here in Mississippi because people across the states, across 34 other states, have access to this, and it's, it's helping them. And so Mississippians need to have that same access.
7: Jamie Grantham, Communications Director for Medical Marijuana 2020, thank you so much for your time and for sharing that information with us.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Dr. Thomas Dobbs is a state health officer with the Mississippi Department of Health. He tells our Michael Guidry the proposed amendment presents a number of challenges.
8: In the amendment, you're not giving people a milligram of THC or a milligram of of uh, cannabidiol or CBD. You're giving people, you know, a, a bag of leaves essentially, or maybe a cookie. And and those are not really what we consider normal medications. Um, other things that are very worrisome include the fact that it's going to be a constitutional amendment. It would not be able to be changed. So if we def- if we really discovered th- the vaping. Um, of, of THC was dangerous and deadly, it basically would prohibit us from regulating that. So those are a lot of the concerns. And the other thing that, that's concerning, and this is something the Board of Health feels really strongly about, is it basically would give taxation and spending authority to a board that has not been elected, and would basically be against the you know the normal oversight principles of, of state government. There's other pieces of that 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 worry us as an agency, too. You know, we'd be responsible for the agricultural components. You know, we might or might not be able to get some help from other agencies. But these are certain things that the Department of Health is not well equipped to handle.
5: Are
7: there ways to introduce cannabis and THC as therapeutic remedies that don't necessarily have to result in this type of legislative change or, or constitutional change?
8: Currently, there are four products on the market that are FDA-approved. They're derived from cannabis. Uh, they're used to treat like nausea and vomiting, anorexia for people uh, with cancer and other severe conditions. So there's al- already an effort to, to use cannabis-derived products for medical benefit. Um, if there were other things that wanted that the legislature wanted to do, I mean, certainly the legislature could pass a you know, statutory change. Um, but now that this amendment is already on the books to go through, um, that would supersede any – any legislative law, right? So it's going to be in the Constitution. And so this is going to be um, sort of like the, the, you know, the grill in the room, it's going to decide kind of how marijuana might be distributed in the state, you know, for a very long time.
7: Mississippi is one of the the many states that does not allow or has no legal statute for marijuana consumption in any way. Yet the University of Mississippi uh, houses a medical marijuana farm and research center. Uh, How do you juxtapose or they said investing money in medical marijuana from an academic and scientific standpoint while at the same time making it difficult for people to reap the benefits of that research?
8: It's important to, to sort of realize that there are potential medical benefits and there are known harms. Balancing those things out are going to be very important. That's why you have to study it. I mean, we would never let a drug company just put something on the market because they said it worked. We have to have rigorous studies to make sure that, that not only does it work, but it's also not harmful. And we haven't really done those things. There's a lot of purported benefits to marijuana, and some of them may well be true. Some of them are certainly not going to be true, um, absolutely. And there are going to be harms that we're not aware of. So for us to do it the right way, it would be far better to do it in a, in a manner where it can be controlled where we give it in a, in a manner where you have THC and CBD concentrations that people know what they're taking. And also, there can be studies to see, you know, does it work? Does it not work? And what are the adverse events?
7: Dr. Thomas Dobbs, state health officer with the Mississippi Department of Health. Thank you so much.
8: Thanks, sir.
2: Coming up after bite Size tech, a conversation with Jim Hood. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio.
4: Mississippi is our mission.
1: Welcome to Bite Size Tech. I'm Jay White. Margaret Ann from Tennessee checked in last week with a question that probably made many of us who fear we're too engaged with our cell phones quite jealous. She and her husband have been using the same iPhones for, well, a long time. And while they're ready to upgrade, they're still perfectly fine with keeping all of the bells and whistles beyond arm's length, at least for now. Margaret Ann explains on this week's Bite Size Tech.
0: We have an older version of the Apple iPhone. It's from, we got it December 2012. I have the 4S and my husband has the 4. And um, we're hoping Santa Claus will bring us a new one this year
2: <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> before
0: it starts stops being supported. But um, I know you can get the latest, greatest, but do you guys, like at this point in time, have any, like, a version that would be good just for reliable internet and you know, for emergencies and email and, and, you know, Safari, all that. Do you just have one off the top of your head that you would recommend?
1: So what can uh, keep them in the game without going all the way to the front door?
9: Yeah, if we're talking just getting you a newer iPhone, uh, the 7 is probably going to be the one that they're giving away for free now, possibly even the 8. Um, either one of those would be more than sufficient. They're going to be bigger than your 4S and your 4. Uh, mm-hmm. So get ready for a bigger screen. But um, overall, yeah, that's going to be the, most, uh, the, the easiest transition for you that, that doesn't have a bunch of bells and whistles that you're not looking for.
1: What do you think the functional uh, life cycle is for the 7 or the 8? How much longer are we talking about yeah. before you'll need to move off of that eventually?
9: Well, they just said that they were updating iOS to antiquate the 6, and the 6 came out, uh, what, 2015, I think. So it's going to be at least four years beyond the life of that phone. So, I'd say the seven's probably got at least two more years, so maybe the eight I still say the seven or the eight would probably be good I mean, if you've been using a four s and a four since twenty twelve like those phones are already no longer supported. They don't even run uh sixty four bit uh processors so they've they've been out of the app store for a while. I'd say you're okay with the seven or the eight.
1: For more conversation like this or to have your personal tech problems addressed, listen to MPB's Everyday Tech. The show is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and the MPB Public Media app, free in the iTunes and Google Play stores. And live weekdays at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. The votes have been cast, and Tate Reeves has been elected to govern the state of Mississippi for the next four years. Mississippi Public Broadcasting will be live at the Capitol Building, providing complete coverage of the inauguration of our 65th governor don't miss the inauguration of governor tate reeves january 14th at 10 a.m live on mpb television mpb think radio and mpbonline.org
2: this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio i'm karen brown Jim Hood served as Mississippi's Attorney General for 16 years. After a hard-fought campaign for governor in 2019, Hood is stepping away from state office. He joined us to reflect on his tenure as the state's attorney in part one of our conversation.
3: Fighting for the least among us was the most rewarding aspect of the job of Attorney General. And, I mean, I learned that's what I wanted to do at 12 years old when I was baptized at First Baptist Church in Hulcombe, Mississippi. You know, I believe in trying to protect the least among us and fighting for those people. So, overall, I had that opportunity. But, you know, I, I, we worked on domestic violence. We reduced the the, the incidence of domestic homicide, usually a husband killing his wife. That has been, I think, uh, successful. Um, and, uh, you know, the Mississippi burning case, I, that was a case that I didn't come in intending to, to try. But, you know, some witnesses came forward. I read the file. I thought that there was sufficient evidence. Give
2: us some more information for our listeners who may not be familiar. Yeah, that that, case. that was
3: in 2005. I came into office, I was sworn in in 2004. I reviewed the file of the 1964 murders of three civil rights workers down helping uh, some to register voters. But the main thing, Mickey Swirner and his wife, uh, Rita, were, were, were building a library for African-American children in Meridian because they couldn't go to the white library. I mean, they were doing God's work down here. They were murdered, and they uh, nothing was no prosecution was ever brought by the state um, in that case. There was a federal trial in 1967 that preserved a lot of evidence, but it was the, 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 the most uh, the strongest charge that was available only carried a 10 year sentence. Some of them were convicted. There were 21 originally indicted, um, and uh, I think 17 uh, were actually put to trial, and one of them was the leader. Uh, his name was Edgar A. Killen. He was a, a preacher over in, um around uh, Philadelphia. And the Klan the, uh, the, the burned a church to lure those uh, people up there. And when they went up there, the, the, they, they saw him And then when they came back through Philadelphia, the, 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 uh, they got the deputy sheriff to stop them. They stopped them. They put him in a car. They take him out on an old road and they killed them. Um, and then he buried him in an earthen dam. It was in 1964. That was June, I think. And then by August, uh, they finally found the bodies. Anyway, you know, so I read the file and some I, I announced that I was looking into the case. Some witnesses came forward and it was good evidence. And we put it before a jury. We finally figured out a lesser included offense uh, charge, which probably duped every prosecutor that had looked at it before. But I had a smart lawyer uh, named Charlie Maris. He's now deceased. But he was head of criminal division, and he found a, a lesser-included offense. Instead of murder, he found a, a felony manslaughter statute. And so you have to go back to 1964 and what our law was then and, and, and apply it. And so we found that old statute because we knew there was evidence from one of the guys who were part of the murder that did state's evidence in the, in the federal trial. And to protect himself against the DA indicting him, who the DA was on the side, I suppose, of the Klansman, he hedged a little bit in his testimony. He said something like we were going to go t- tear their butts up, beat them up, but they bought gloves and every, all the rest of the evidence indicated clear, uh, intent to go commit a murder to murder. Them. It was no question about it. But that one piece of evidence was enough. I knew that a jury, a one juror would probably grasp to say, well, they was going to go beat them up and there's no charge here. So we had the murder charge. And so they, they, they convicted him, uh, and, uh,
2: that Un- was felony, manslaughter? Is that Un- felony just-
3: manslaughter. It was the set, you know we, we we charged with murder, but then the, the 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 underlying when you get jury instructions when the judge gives jury instructions we got that instruction for a lesser included offense and that's why he he's convicted. So that was tw- carried twenty years each count. So for each murder or manslaughter, uh, he got twenty years, and so that was a, a a case that I just it was my duty to do it. It was uh, um, hopefully uh, helped heal some wounds in the state and made people from out of state look at us a little bit in different light that we were trying to clean up uh, our past a bit and um so that was a rewarding case but there's a lot more things that really helped me a lot that I felt better about one of them was cybercrime I fought for kids on the internet the dangers I was I had young kids when I was elected and so that was where my interest was And so I think we've made a difference in trying to protect our kids online, informing parents, you know, information, providing parents what to look out for.
2: I've talked with you for years, and that has always been a topic that's been top of mind for you. Yeah. And I remember talking to you specifically one time about sexting and protecting children because they didn't understand really what they were doing, and Mm -hmm. it was a crime against a child to do that.
3: Yeah. And so part of the job of Attorney General is getting information to parents and kids and the dangers and, like, vaping and those kind of issues. I mean, we're trying to warn, you know, parents. That's been rewarding work. So a lot of the things that I've done, um, more high-profile things that get in the media – uh, fights that I've had, you know, with d- different companies, you know, that's not as rewarding as when you know you try to you help the kid or some poor person that, uh, you know, needed help or somebody that's wealthy that some companies run over, you know, and you got to stand up for people. And uh, that's what I enjoy doing as attorney general. It's been it's been fun.
2: Years from now, somebody says, I remember Jim Hood. He was the AG who fill in the blank. Yeah, I, I think w-
3: what I see in African-Americans every day when I go out somewhere, they know that I fought for them. Working people do as well. Just knowing that somebody was there to fight for you—that—that's hopefully what they'll say. Now they may say, you know, he's the one to try the Mississippi Burning case, or he's the one that went after State Farm after the, the hurricane, or, or or WorldCom, or Google, or one of those things. But I think that what's most rewarding is that people know, they remember, they'll come up and shake your hand. They won't even have to say anything, you know. But they, you, you know, that they. They thought you fought for him.
2: Jim Hood is the former attorney general of Mississippi. In part two of our conversation tomorrow, we reflect on the gubernatorial campaign and what lies ahead for him. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.